Welcome to this week's podcast from Free Chapel in Orange County. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, check out our website at freechapel.org. Let's go to Mark 11. If, if you have a phone, you have a Bible, let's go to Mark 11. And I'm going to, you know, <laughs> I thought about preaching a message and introducing it this way. I'm going to expose tonight the meanest member in the church. The meanest member in the church is small. He's connected with everybody in the church. He's a little member that brags on himself all the time. He affects the whole body. His name is the tongue. <laughs> Didn't know who I was going to talk about, did you? Tonight, I want to go on a theme that when I was a kid preacher, this theme existed. And maybe you've heard different people preach on this subject. I hope I can take it in a different direction tonight to teach you something very important. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, say, oh, neighbor, there's a miracle in your mouth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The text or the scripture we're going to use is Mark eleven twenty two through 24. It says this, have faith in God. Now, one Greek scholar says it can actually translate, have the faith of God. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say to this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Wherefore, whatsoever things, (coughs) pardon me, you desire when you pray, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. Now, this is very clear that you have to believe you have received before you see the evidence of it. And, and this was Kenneth Hagin, Dr. Kenneth Hagin, who really was strong in the Word of Faith movement in the, in the 60s, especially the 70s and 80s, 90s. This was one of his, this was his key verse. Who shall ever so say to the mountain, be thou removed and cast into the sea. So we call this the confession of God's word. Now, words have great power. I want you to consider this, that God created all things by words. Let there be, it was. Let there be, it was. Let there be, it was. And of course, when God creates something, it's always good. And God said it was good, and God said it was good, and God said it was good. You know, Tuesday is when they have sometimes in different parts of the world Jewish weddings. And the reason they choose a Tuesday is because it is the only day of creation that has a double blessing on it. God twice, you know, you got to take the first day of the week and all, you wanna, how the days were numbered. But when God got to that day of creation, he called it blessed twice in the book of Genesis. So a lot of times they say that that's why they're married on that particular time. Moses created plagues by holding up a dead tree stick and pronouncing them with the power of words. Christ healed the sick consistently by the power of his words. Psalms said he sent forth his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. Prayer is words. Confession is words. In fact, I'll bring this out in a moment. The power of life and death are in the tongue. Now, words have what I call a 4D dimension to them. There's four words that begin with the letter D. Discourage, divide, destroy, doubt. Words can create these four things, and these four things are enemies to your faith. The first is the word discourage. Ten spies discouraged 
the entire nation of Israel from possessing the promised land. People's words can discourage you from fulfilling the will of God. The second thing is division. The Pharisees were the masters of trying to divide the people in their opinion of who Jesus was. Division will create confusion and strife of every type. You must guard yourself against spiritual division because it is an enemy to your faith. Now, the proverb says this, life and death are in the power of the tongue. So the third thing is destruction through negative words. Folks, it has now been absolutely proven that negative words bring destruction. Perhaps the weirdest thing, and if I thought I was going to preach this, I would have brought the pictures because people really can't believe this, but I know the people that did the test. There was a test made with rice, actual rice, same rice, made the same way, put in two different jars. One jar had the words on it, I love you, you are beautiful. The other jar had the words on it, you are ugly, I want you to die. They put them in two different locations. Over a period of every day for 21 days, people would go and speak life over the one rice and death over the other. I saw it with my eyes. Other people did the same experiment and it worked. The rice, the rice that had the death words written and spoken turned moldy and ugly. The rice that had the positive words and the love's words spoken still looked like rice that had just been boiled and neither one of them were ever touched. They have done studies with crystals. There's a Japanese scientist that starts studying crystals. And they, it's, it's a long process. It has to be done scientifically. has to be done using microscopes. But he noticed that when crystals, that water crystals, water has crystals, that when death was spoken over them on a consistent basis, they turned literally ugly and dark. When life was spoken over crystals, I'm talking about water crystals, they took on the form of snowflakes. They were extremely beautiful. Beautiful. There's so many tests that have actually been done the past several years on the power of words that it has now been totally, completely proven that if you speak negative words all the time, your body moves into eating itself, working against itself. Diseases like cancer can come, depression comes, oppression comes, and all of that creates negative chemicals that actually fight the body. They've, they've discovered that suicide victims have 10% when they do the study after the suicide, they have 10% more of a chemical that creates depression, 10% more than people who normally just go through life, maybe they have a bad day. So in other words, life and death literally are in the power of the tongue. And I want to make that very clear before we get going. Proverbs chapter, I'm sorry, the fourth D is doubt because, um, Doubt creates unbelief and you cannot receive anything from God according to scripture when you have fallen into unbelief. Now in Deuteronomy chapter, I'm sorry, Proverbs 17, 14, the Bible says the beginning of strife is when one letteth out as, as, is as when one letteth out water. Therefore leave off contention before it is meddled with. Proverbs 17 also says, uh, says it this way. The beginning of strife is as, as when water first trickles from the crack in a dam. Therefore, stop the contention before it comes, becomes worse and quarreling begins to break out. Now, the, the real root situation is, and I was just thinking the other day, you know, uh, Americans do crazy things. And, and here's an example. Tea. Tea. Watch this. We boil it to make it hot and then put it in a glass and throw ice cubes in it to make it cold. 
Now, wait a minute. It gets even crazier. Then <laughs> we pour sugar in it to make it sweet and throw a lemon in it to make it sour. <laughs> anyway, I don't know where that came from. I just thought that was an interesting little observation there. I believe, I believe that one of the keys to God sending anything in your life is how you speak over the thing you're believing God for. And I believe that we need to understand this because I'm going to be very honest with you. Back east, I see too many people dying with diseases too young. I see a, a woman with three kids dying with cancer when she's 30. My, my opinion is that should never happen. I see different things happening to people at an early age, I see 40-year-olds sitting in wheelchairs because of a crippling disease. And so my concern is that somehow we're not seeing the miracles that are promised us in the Bible. And what is, the re what is one reason why the miracles are not happening? And so this is the reason that I'm going to preach this. Now, I did a study, and I went to the... F Man, I began to feel something in my spirit. Hallelujah. We're going somewhere in a minute. I went to the four gospels and I began to explore what caused miracles to happen. Was it just the fact that Jesus had the gift of miracles and healing so he could just bam, put it on anybody? Or was there something that people did in the New Testament that indicated to him that they had faith and were ready to receive a miracle? And I went into the Bible and I, I noticed, oh, this is so good. There were three elements to most miracles that Jesus performed. Number one, the people had to believe something. Number two, the people had to say something. Mm. And number three, the people had to do something. It is with the heart that you believe. It is with the mouth that you say. It is with your body that you act it out. I'll show you one example. The woman with the issue of blood in Mark 5. Now, first of all, the issue of blood means she's hemorrhaging. The law of Moses forbid a woman to have a hemorrhage or a monthly period and even be in public. Everything she touched was ceremonially unclean. Now, this is how strict the law was. If this woman had been caught in public, acknowledging that she was hemorrhaging in public and touching people... A ruler of a synagogue would have authority to have her stoned if he chose to do so. That's how serious the unclean law was. So she goes in sneaking behind Jesus, hoping that nobody recognizes her, knowing that she'll be in trouble. Because if you'll read the text, Jairus, who is the ruler of the synagogue, is with Jesus headed to his house to get a miracle for his daughter. She interrupts it. Now, here's what the Bible says. She believed. How do I know she believed? Mark 5, 34, Jesus said, your faith has made you whole. Your faith has made you completely well. So she had faith. So she believed something. Then she said, this is Mark 5, 28, for she said within herself, if I can touch the hem of his garment, <laughs> I shall be made whole. So now understand that she did believe, but she said something that cooperated with what she was believing. But here's, here's the big point. She did something. Mark 5, 27, she came behind and touched the hem of his garment. Now, she thought she would touch the H-E-M, but she touched the H-E-M and got a hold of H-I-M. Because he said, who touched me? What? Now, this is a crazy question. Come on, Jesus. 
You got a thousand people pushing on you and you're trying to figure out who just bumped into you. Jesus said, no, you don't understand. That guy over there touched me by accident. He bumped into me, but I didn't feel nothing. That one over there, that lady, she bumped up against me just now by curiosity. She wanted to see if I was really real, but I didn't feel nothing. But somebody had some faith because when they touched me, the Bible said they pulled virtue, thunamis, power out of the body of Jesus into their body. Come on, somebody. Man. So in the Bible, you will discover that Jesus would perceive their faith and then say, stretch forth your hand. Do something. You believe me? Now do something. In Luke's gospel, when the men went to the house where Jesus was preaching and could not get their friend in who was paraplegic, they went to the roof. Now they could do this because there were steps that went up to a flat roof. The roofs were made of, back in that day, of trees with mud. In fact, some of them had grass growing on top of them. They put chickens on top of the roof, hey, like that. And they had places to catch rain in buckets. So they start tearing a guy's roof off. Now look, look, that, that's somebody's house they're messing with. They tear the roof off and lower the man in front of Jesus. And here's what the Bible says. Jesus saw their faith. And when Jesus saw that, how, how could Jesus see their faith? Because let me tell you something. When, you, when four guys are carrying a cot through a crowd, then they go up on top of the roof and they're willing to tear somebody's roof off knowing they got to pay for it or fix it. Come on, you got faith. A woman the other day sent me two um, pillowcases and said, I want you to anoint these the way Paul anointed handkerchiefs. I have a daughter and a son-in-law that need God. And I stood there and laughed when I saw it and I said, oh God, this woman has faith. She took the pillowcases off. She sent them in the mail. She paid for the postage. We prayed. And I will say this publicly and can just about guarantee it to you. Because she believed it. Because she acted on it. God is going to see her faith. and Yes, he will. Yes, he will. And God will do something. Because God can not only hear you when you say you believe... God can watch your actions, ah, Lord Jesus, to see if you really believe. So how important is it that when you say you believe something, that you start coming into an agreement with the words of your mouth? Romans 10 and 8, for the word is near you, even in your heart and in your mouth. Romans 10, 10, with the heart man believes unto righteousness, with the mouth Confession is made unto salvation. Matthew chapter 12 and 37. By your words are you justified. Or by your words are you condemned. Matthew 12 and 36. Every idle word shall men give an account of. So it's very important that when you look at the scripture, your words can minimize or your words can maximize the impact of the power of God that God is beginning to place in your life. Now, Think about this. Jesus is born in Bethlehem, a small town, but he lives in Nazareth. Nazareth was not a city like you think of a city. In the time of Jesus, Nazareth is off the beaten path. You have to go out of your way to go there. And the only thing there was a well of water. 
it was so small that all of my tour guides in Israel agree from history that Nazareth maybe had 30 families living in the town. This is how everybody in the town knew who Jesus was when he came back to preach in Luke chapter 4. But look at how people thought about Nazareth. Nathaniel is told, we've seen the Messiah. And he says, where is he from? Nazareth. I quote what Nathaniel said. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? I mean, it's a hole in the wall. There's nothing good going to come out of there. Nazareth, the Messiah, come, no, he comes out of Jerusalem, not Nazareth. And then you keep reading what other people thought. When Jesus goes and preaches there, they say, is this not the son of Joseph and Mary? And has he not been raised around our children? It got so bad there that it said that Jesus could do no mighty miracles in Nazareth because of their unbelief. Now watch this. They're saying things with their mouth. They're, don't miss this. Their mouth is minimizing the ministry of Jesus. And because the words of their mouth are minimizing Jesus Christ, he is unable to do the mightier or greater things that he would do everywhere else because their words created an atmosphere of unbelief to where faith could not operate. Now, it says he could there do no mighty miracles because of their unbelief. So I believe what I'm about to tell you. That in my 41 years of ministry, because I've seen miracles, I've seen some tremendous miracles like you would read about in the book of Acts done through prayer. I believe that the spirit of unbelief that is created through the negative words or the words of death is what is stopping many times the manifestation of the power of God and the anointing of God from coming into your life. Because here's the principle. And I, I learned this when I was 18. And, and, and can I say something to you? I grew up in a good denomination, wonderful people, very strong on the East Coast, three or four or 500 churches in every state in the East Coast, just about. But I grew up in a denomination that honestly, they were never taught the danger of speaking negatively. And so when they would preach, a lot of times the preaching was very negative. The preaching was very condemning. I mean, can I tell you something? It's bad when you go to church looking for God to bless and leave feeling worse than when you came. Okay? And there you are as a kid trying to serve God and try to do the right thing. And they're up preaching condemnation to you. And dear Lord, I thought when I was a teen, can I go ahead and go here? Thank you. I'm going to do it anyhow. <laughs> But when I was a kid, all, all the young boys that's 20 and under, raise your hand. Would you young men raise your hand if you're 20 and under? Come on, be bold about it, 20 and under, okay? Can I tell you that you have hormones in your body? Have you figured that out yet? You do have hormones in your body. Can I tell you it's a normal thing when you get to be about 14, 15, 16, you'll see a girl and you'll say, wow, what a pretty girl. That's a normal thing. And you, I, I got a word for you. Thank God you're looking at girls. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Thank God you're looking at girls. Okay. Just thought, I, just thought I'd say that. Okay, just thought you're, oh, you're going to be healthy and strong and have a good family. Praise God one day. All right. But when I, when I grew up, the way, the way it was taught me, it's like I shouldn't even, I'm single. I'm going to be married one day. Now, look at, look at me, ladies and gentlemen. I know a pretty woman when I see one because I'm married one. I was not going to marry Skaggy Maggie. And when we grew up, they didn't let them wear makeup in the church. How many remember those days? Does anybody grow up the way I did old school? You didn't wear makeup. 
<laughs> or jewelry. Oh, Lord. Oh, God, I, I started growing up and got a little older and got to hanging with the women that, you know, they, the girls that wore it. And I thought to myself, oh, Lord, every old barn needs a good paint job every now and then. Lord Jesus, yes, it does. But I can remember, I can remember them preaching that they didn't want you lusting. Of course, you shouldn't do that, but they didn't want you lusting, so they're going to protect you. So it's like when you meet a girl, you're supposed to close your eyes and say, oh, how you doing? Good to meet you. Pray the Lord. Or, you know, keep one eye open and one eye closed so you can watch as well as pray while you're looking at them. <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> So here's what I want to tell you that I wasn't taught. My denomination did not teach this. As a matter of fact, I'm sad to say that some of the preachers I sat under at 18, 19, and 20 laughed at what I'm going to tell you, and they shouldn't have. Mm -hmm. I got a hold of Brother Kenneth Hagin's books, and one of the books that he had written when I was 18, and they happened to sell it at a Church of God camp meeting in Roanoke, Virginia, was called The Covenant. It's a little tiny book. It's about 32 pages. And you know what? No one had ever taught me I had a covenant with God. All I was ever taught, you're a sinner saved by grace. And if you don't watch it, you're going to die and go to hell. So you better live right or God's going to kill you one day. We're we're just out there scared to death that God hates us all, wants to beat us up, looking for us to sin so he can take a baseball bat and knock our brains out. I'm serious. I'm serious. That's how we felt. So Brother Hagin writes a book that changed my life. Now, you all, you all may not, you may think I'm goofing. When I tell you this, I'm not goofing. The greatest revelation I found out as a Pentecostal preacher some when I was 18 was this. Ready? Jesus really did love me. Oh, that's great. They preached it, but they condemned you with anything. You thought, even had a thought, man, it was like you're going to hell for thinking that. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not minimizing wrong. I'm, I'm making a point here. And the second thing that he taught me was I had a covenant with God. Everything that belonged to God was now mine if I served him. And everything I had belonged to him. So God could require anything of me in this covenant. And I'd have to do it for him. I'd have to give it to him. I'd have to give it up for him. But on the other hand, when I was willing to give up something for him, I could approach him and say, now I need something, Father. And this is, like, this is like liberating and setting me free. Now, the second thing he taught, and I'm telling you, I was 18, 19, 20 preaching this, and they made fun of me because, honestly, they didn't understand what I'm about to preach to you tonight. They really didn't. They were good people, but they didn't understand it, was the word confession. Because here's... <laughs> I got up and started preaching. Conf- I'm going to preach on confession tonight. And, and these Pentecostal preachers would say, my God, is he turning Catholic on us? Because they'd see a, I don't know what they'd see, a priest in a confessional booth. That is not what I was talking about. Let me just explain to you what confess is. In the New Testament, it mentions confess, confess your faults, confess your sins. It's two Greek words that mean to speak and together. So you put the word confess in Greek, and it means to speak together or to say the same thing someone else has said. You speak together. So in this case, in this case, It is you speaking what God has spoken. Are you tracking with me? So if I confess my sins, I am confessing. I know I'm a sinner and I'm acknowledging, making public to God that I'm a sinner and I need a savior. 
if I'm confessing the promises of God, what I'm actually doing is I'm coming into agreement with it. Now, if God said it, listen to this now, you must believe it. But if God said it, you must also speak it. Are y'all still here? Jesus said, if you ask the Father anything in my name, I will do it. Jesus said, if any two or three of you shall agree as touching anything, it shall be done of them of the Father which is in heaven. So there's five different confessions in the New Testament. I'm going to give these to you very quickly. Number one is John 1 and 9, to confess your sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins if we confess our sins. Confession of sins is level one. Number two, confess your faults one to another, James 5, 16. If we confess our faults one to another and pray one for another, we can be healed. Number three is to confess Jesus before other men. Matthew chapter 10 and 32 says, if we confess Jesus before other people, then he will confess us before the holy angels in heaven that we are his child. So in other words, testify about him. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm a Christian, man. Oh, I believe in Jesus. Sure. So you never are embarrassed of him. That's confessing him. That's witnessing. We would say witnessing. Number four, you have to confess in 1 John 4, 15, that he is the son of God. Look, can I tell you all something? Jesus is just not, not, not another prophet, the way the Muslims teach. He is not just a good teacher, the way the Buddhists teach. Jesus is the son of the living God. That's a big difference. He's not just a good man. He's savior. Number five, which is important, is to confess what is written in the word of God. Now, Hebrews 4 and 12 says the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword. Sharper than a two-edged sword. In Greek, it means this. The word of God is alive and energized and sharper than a, ready for this word? Two-edged in Greek is two-mouthed. Now, an actual two-edged sword in the Roman time had two blades to it, a left blade and a right blade. But in the Greek, it can actually read a two-mouthed sword. Now, wait a minute. How can the word of God be a two-mouthed sword? Here's how it's a two-mouthed sword. When God spoke his word to man and it was written in the Bible, it formed one side of that blade. But when Jesus was tempted of the devil and went to the book of Deuteronomy and started quoting verses from Deuteronomy, he turned Deuteronomy into a sword against the enemy, and he put the second blade and made it a two-edged sword. Woo! Only one part of that blade is what God spoke. The other part of that blade is when you speak. So you have a... My Lord, I'm, I'm going to go in here and preach to this crowd. I'm getting some amens on this side. When you, when you read your Bible and you read what God has said, you have a weapon of the sword, but it has only one blade at that point. But then when you speak what God has said, you have now formed the second blade. You make a two-edged sword. So let's read the rest of the verse. For the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than a two-mouthed sword, piercing asunder to the dividing of soul and spirit and joint and mara. It is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And when it says the word of God is, is quick and powerful, that word quick in Greek, it's also found, by the way, in the Old Testament. David talks about this. It means to be alive. Years ago, a guy went to New York and he had something on the ground and he threw a coat over top of it and he started jumping around. My God, it's alive, it's alive, it's alive. Screaming at the top of his voice, it's alive. He pointed to the coat and he got a whole crowd. And somebody screamed, what are you you're talking about what's alive and he pulled the coat back and held up a bible said it's the word of god and it's a living thing and it's alive it's alive it's alive it's alive 
<laughs> All right. Now, according to Romans, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Our hearing has been disrupted to the point that we need to realign our ears spiritually. I am preaching tonight. Ready? Some of you will hear a message. Some of you will hear a sermon. But some of you are going to hear a word from the Lord. And it depends on the level of hearing you are at as to whether you will walk away and say, that was a good sermon. I liked that message. Or you will say, oh, God, hit me tonight. Okay? And the way, the, way that it, the way that it works is, now believe this or not, you know this, every human being in this room is wired for sound. If you don't believe it, the younger generation sticks earphones in their ears all day long. I'll take my kids out to eat somewhere, and they're sitting at a table eating, all my young people, and they all got earphones in, and they just listen to music. They're, come on, they're wired for sound. In fact, they are bored if they're not hearing something. Because Christians in America during one week hear 1.5 billion words spoken. Now listen, the power, however, is not just in the hearing, but in the speaking. Because nothing would have been created from nothing. You understand everything was made from nothing. By faith, the worlds were framed by the word of God. Nothing would have been created until God spoke it. God thought it first. God believed it would happen because who needs faith when you're God? But then God spoke it and God said it was good. Now, the speaking releases the power that is within the word. It's really interesting. Let me talk to you about the devil for a moment. People don't realize this many times. There is a difference between power and authority. Satan lost his authority over your life at Calvary. He has no authority to bind. Watch. He can't make you go to hell now. Only you can do that. He can't even make you sick when the blood of Jesus is on you and you believe in healing. He can't make you sick. You know, he can't even kill you because he don't have the keys of death and hell anymore. Hey, hey, hey. Mm. Now what, watch what I'm going to say. Jesus stripped him of his authority, but in the book of Revelation, the dragon still has a mouth. So what it means is this. While the enemy does not have authority, he still has a voice. And that's why Jesus, who had authority over him, could still be tempted by him. Because Satan had no authority over Christ, but he had a voice in which to tempt Christ. Is everybody still tracking with me? Can we talk about this for a moment? Shout yes. In the temptation of Jesus, he was tempted with three things. And you can break this down later. Look in the Bible, Luke 4, Matthew 4. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Bow and worship me and I'll give you the kingdoms. That's pride of life. Lust of the flesh. Command these stones to be made bread. Your flesh is hungry. So all sin falls into the category of lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life. Now watch what Satan says to Jesus. Now we're going to talk about the voice in a moment. We're going to talk about the voice and the mouth and the words. Satan goes to Jesus and says, If you're the Son of God, command these stones, rocks, there's rocks everywhere, to be made bread. 
Jesus was being tempted, stay with me, to pervert his gift. Because later Jesus could take bread and fish and multiply it. You didn't hear me. He took five loaves, multiplied it to feed 5,000 men, not counting women and kids. So he, God, I feel something in my soul. So he had a gift to do miracles. Could Jesus, could Jesus, by the miracle power of being the son of God, looked at stones and said, be made bread. The answer is yes. All right. Then why did he not do it? Because the enemy is trying to get Jesus to take his gift that God has given him for the miraculous and pervert it for self-serving purposes. And the reason that Jesus refused to do it because Jesus understood the voice that he was hearing was not the voice of his heavenly father. It was the wrong voice. And he refused to operate in a voice that was not his father. If Jesus would have obeyed the voice of Satan and commanded the stones to be made bread, this gets deep theologically, Satan at that moment could have exalted himself above God. And Jesus said, "Uh uh-uh, I recognize that voice. He said in John 12 and 49, for I have not spoken to myself, but the father which sent me, he gave me a commandment, what I say and what I should speak. John 12 and 50, Jesus said this, and I know his commandment is everlasting life. And whatever I speak, therefore, even as my father said to me, so will I speak. John chapter 10 and verse 30, I and my father are one. What act, John 5, 17, my father has been working until now. And I have been working with him. John 8, 28. As my father has taught me, I speak these things. Christ refused to take a supernatural gift of healing and working of miracles and prove anything to the devil. When Herod said to him, wow, you're Jesus. I've been hearing about you for years. Hey. Do me a miracle. Can I tell you something? Had Jesus abused his gift and said, bring me a dead person and raise that dead person from the dead, Herod would have released him. But it was not the plan of the father for him to be released. He refused to answer their question. He refused to perform a miracle in front of them Hey, hey, hey. But three days later, he did the biggest miracle of all. He rose from the dead himself. <laughs> ay, ay, ay. He didn't have to raise somebody from the dead. He's going to raise himself from the dead. This is significant for you to understand what I'm about to tell you. Now we get into something that I think is really super cool. My daughter said cool is an old word. I would say bomb, but now that sets everybody off when you say bomb. You can't do that. <laughs> I want you for a moment to, remit, to hear a verse that Jesus says in Matthew seventeen twenty, And then we're going to go to another verse that we gave you just a moment ago. But listen to this. For assuredly, I say unto you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, 
you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it'll move. And nothing shall be impossible to you. Now, can I tell you the absolute unseen coolest part of that verse? He is on the Mount of Olives telling them a mountain can be removed and cast into the sea. And in Zechariah 14, when Jesus comes back, he steps on that same mountain where he's preaching this, on the Mount of Olives. And the mountain, the Bible says, will split to the east and the west. And part of the water from Jerusalem will go into the Dead Sea. So can I say this? He's prophesying about his own future. You will say to this mountain, it's a Mount of Olives, be removed and cast into the sea. And that horse is going to hit that Mount of Olives in Revelation 19, and it's going to split. Y'all didn't get it. You'd be hooping if you got it. I need a, I need a hooping anointing in this place. Somebody got a hooping anointing in this place. Where's the, where's the crowd that's hooping? That's where I'm preaching right here. All right. Let me talk for a moment about the mountain. Jesus is on a literal mountain. But metaphorically, mountains <laughs> are what we create with our own problems. Mm -hmm. Ready? Here's the revelation. Most mountains are made by your mouth. La-da-dee, la-la-lee, la-la-la. Three Stooges anointing just came on me. Hello? Strife from your mouth. Your jealousy because of your mouth. The division in your family because of your mouth. The fear because you keep confessing it. The hate because you've been talking about it. The unforgiveness because you're living in it. The doubt because you keep saying, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. The anger because you keep opening your mouth. Your mouth turns molehills into mountains. Your mouth takes little things, builds it up, talks about it so much that it's so big that now you can't even deal with it. You don't know how to deal with it because... You have created a mountain with your mouth. Now listen to this. The power of life and death are in the tongue. Here's what the Bible says. For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law, that man that does those things shall live by them. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your... This is the righteousness of faith. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend to heaven? That is to bring Christ down from above. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, even in your mouth and in your heart. So let me break this down. Here's what it's saying. Do not say, oh, if God would just let, if the Lord would just come down in my situation. If he would just, oh God, in the throne room of heaven, bring your presence down now because I can't make it if you don't come down. Or do not say to yourself, oh, I wish, I wish God would just rise and and let the enemies be scattered. God, don't you understand this? Wake up, God. I'm in trouble. Oh, God, do something. God, get up, build a wall. He says, do not say, if God can come down in my situation, then something will change. Do not say, if God will rise up in my situation, something will say, change. He said, the word is in your mouth. Oh, somebody going to get some faith in this house tonight. 
Somebody going to get some faith in this place tonight. Let's go back to the mustard seed verse. It does not say faith of a mustard seed. It says faith as a mustard seed. What does it mean faith as? Faith as is this. The mustard seed, as you saw, because Amanda had some with her, it's a very small seed. But the parable of Jesus on the mustard seed was this. It is the smallest of seeds. But when it's put in the ground properly, it will grow into a huge tree. And the birds can rest upon it. And people can get shade underneath it. So here's the faith as a mustard seed. Jesus is saying to us the potential mm -hmm, for unlimited growth. Aha. For unlimited success. I'm feeling this in my spirit. For unlimited ability is in the power of faith the size of a mustard seed. Now, I'm going to give you a revelation God gave me about faith. Because I was reading this about the mustard seed. And I said, God, we've missed it. Because we think it takes this really big level of faith. And man, if I had the gift of faith, God would heal this person. Man, if I only... And Jesus tells us, faith as a mustard seed. And it hit me one day. Ready? It will, all it takes for any miracle is not a lot of faith, but an absence of total unbelief. See what I'm saying? In other words, what hinders me in my prayer life or my belief in God is not my faith. Ready? I got 95% faith, but 5% unbelief. But guess what? The 5% cancels out my 95. Because the Bible says if you ask amiss, or it says if you ask double-minded, you can't receive anything from God. Is that not in the Bible? Double-minded means I believe. Well, I don't know if I believe. Well, I believe. Well, I'm confessing. Well, I'm holding on. Well, I don't know. I feel like letting go. Well, Jesus hadn't done it yet, so I don't know what I'm going to do. Well, I'm going to quit if he don't do something soon. Lord, I love you. I'm not really going to quit. I just said that because I was mad. Jesus, I pray that you'll forgive me for how I talked the other day because I know I talked against you. God, I'm going to do better now. Get, praise God, I'm going to do better. Folks, I'm telling you, I'm going to be better. Everything's going to be all right. Well, I'll tell you what. I've been praying for a week and can't get better. I don't know what in a, what. The, <laughs> I was going to say something, didn't you? Double-minded. So if I'm going to receive from the Lord, I don't need, and I'm talking for you that need the Holy Spirit tonight, I don't need a lot of faith. If I have enough faith to sit there, I've got faith. If I've got enough faith in an altar call to walk to the front, I've got enough faith. If I've got enough faith to repeat a prayer a preacher has, I've got enough faith. What you've got to understand is it's not that your faith is not big enough. It's that your unbelief is too big. So what I have to work on is get rid of all doubt. That's what I have to work on. And say, God, I can believe it because you said it. So for me to really believe it, I'm going to talk it. 
I'm going to call those things that be not as though they already were. Now, here we go, because I'm about to set you up for the hit right here. Ready? Everybody in this building has the potential of the God kind of faith if you have just enough faith the size of a mustard seed. That's not much. But when you have that level of faith the size of a mustard seed, he said, you shall say to the mountain. Oh, I'm about to preach right here. Okay, ready? Two things about your mountains. Number one, I can't pray your mountain away. And you're not supposed to pray your mountain away. Jesus said, you speak to the mountain. Can I tell you why Jesus said that when you have a mountain that you've got to speak to it? Everybody ready for this? Because your voice many times helped make it. So it's your voice that's going to help remove it. <laughs> Set you up right there, didn't I? Okay. See, people come to me and they'll say, huh? pray for my husband. He's lost. And I said to one lady, when was the last time you prayed for him? Y'all pray. Now, th this happens in the smaller churches. Y'all pray for my boys. They've been away from God five years. Well, how long have you been praying for them? You mm, chill, Perry, chill. Mm. Pastor, I'm having financial problems. I need you to pray for a break. When did you pray for a breakthrough? Oh, I'm getting, it's getting so quiet in here. I don't, I don't even know if I can say the ne next one. Okay, can I say this? There's nothing wrong with prayer of agreement if two or three of you should agree. That's Bible. But we're talking mountains here. We're not talking about agreeing over something. We're talking about your mountain. And here's why your mountain has never moved. Because you've been asking everybody to command it to go. And it's only activated by your voice because your mountain knows your voice and doesn't know my voice. in my life from time to time created my own problems. Where's the rest of you sanctified people that have done the same thing in the house? When I've created my own problems, I can't go to everybody else saying, y'all pray for my problem that I just made. I've got to speak to my own mountain. I've got to speak to my own situation. I've got to speak to my own problem. And I want to tell you what he said. If you can have enough faith, get the doubt out. All you need is a little bit of faith. But what you really need is to start saying to your mountain, be removed, hallelujah, and be cast into the sea. Okay, so how do you do it? You got an unsaved husband, you say, Husband, Acts 16 said, I shall be saved in my house, and you're my house, so you're coming into salvation in the name of Jesus. <laughs> how do you deal with children? Children are a heritage of the Lord, and blessed is the man whose quiver is full. So therefore, my children will be in the kingdom in the name of Jesus. See, now I'm speaking to my mountain. 
Oh, I don't know how I'm going to pay my bills. That's all right because the word says, my God shall supply all my need according to his riches in glory. By Christ Jesus, mountain, you better listen. i got a financial miracle coming because I lost. Well, I need healing. Well, then here's what you say. Hey, sickness, I got a word for you. With his stripes, I am. Hey, brother, hold off on the keyboards. I'm not done. <laughs> I'm cutting up with you. I'm not embarrassed. I'm cutting up. Usually when I'm, when the keyboard comes, it means time to sit down. I ain't ready yet. I still got, I still got some stuff. <laughs> I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to embarrass you. I'm cutting up with you. Now, now, now watch this. So if I'm dealing with those four things, I, I find the scripture, right? But I have to speak it because the life is in the power of what? The tongue. And I say to the mountain. Can y'all see this? So what we've been doing, we've been praying for God to get rid of our mountain. Oh God, I'm asking you. And he says, no, don't call me down on your mountain. Don't call me up on your mountain. Speak to your mountain. Mm. 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 I'm almost, I promise you, I'm almost done. show you this. I'm going to show you this, how it worked in my life. When God tells you to do something, let me say it this way. In the Bible, to get miraculous results at times, you have to do the ridiculous. Tammy, you should be, you should be tweeting this, Tammy. <laughs> Often the ridiculous creates the miraculous. Tell her to get her phone out right here. She's the tweeter. Come on, sister. <laughs> God tells Noah to build a ship when it's never flooded on the earth. God tells Moses to hold up a dead tree limb to make the sea open. God tells Moses to make a brass snake on a pole. If everybody looks, they're going to get healed. God tells Gideon to take clay pots, put, put lights in them, then bust them, and it's going to scare everybody, and they're going to win a battle. Come on, 300 men blowing shofars. God's tell, God's, God tells David, take five stones and a, <laughs> and a, wool, a sling made out of wool and run, run into a 10-foot man and deck him. God tells one man, puts mud in his eyes and go tells him to wash. And if he goes washes with mud in his eyes, he's going to be healed. Power in the mud. Come on, somebody. God tells Peter, if you want to pay your taxes, go fishing. And you'll find a, you'll find a coin to do that. Paul says, look, if you want to get him healed, lay my hanky on him. Come on, you don't want to lay my hanky on anybody because there's stuff on that hanky. But Paul, they took handkerchiefs and aprons and people were healed. So here's, here's what I want to say to you. Here's what we must learn to do. And I'll, and I'll give you a story in a moment. Pray with our mouth, worship with our mouth, and rebuke the enemy with our mouth because authority is released with words. That's the bottom line. 
Authority is released with words. So if you just say, well, I'm believing, but you're not speaking it. If you're praying for the mountain and you're not speaking over the mountain, then you're not totally fulfilling the area where God would have for you to be and to do. I'm going to tell you two quick stories, okay? And then we're going to pray for people. The Lord spoke to me, and some of you know this if you're partners of the ministry. He spoke to me several years ago, and he said, Father, a generation. And then he speaks to me to build a gathering place for a generation. And I went to an architect who's a partner of our ministry. I said, I'm supposed to build a building. It's going to have to be big, make at least 3,000 in one room and 1,000 in another room. And, and, and then he says, how are we going to pay for it? And when they went to get a contractor, the contractor said, we cannot get involved with Perry Stone's building program because three banks in town, the three banks he's worked with for 34 years, 35 years, will not loan him any. My wife had meetings with the president of every bank that we work with, and none of them, but one finally said, well, if he needs $2 million at the end, we'll loan him $2 million. But we can't give him anything because young people have no money, and if this is for young people, he has no income coming in. How many of you know i got a mountain? Here's my mountain. I have $4 million in a savings fund for a building, and I only need $14 million more. <laughs> I need $14 million. And so I tell the architect, plan the building anyway. Now, here's why I know it was God's will, because the revelation of what he told me burnt in me, and I couldn't get away from it. If I'd have said no, I'd have went home sick for weeks, literally sick. But when I said yes, I had peace. Go with peace. Go when God tells you something. Go, listen to the peace of God, not the circumstances of people, not what everybody's prophesying over you. When you have the perfect peace of God, you know it's the right thing to do. God's going to take care of it. So you ready for this? So I have a mountain. My mountain is a $14 million mountain. So the builder says, we're not going to build for Perry Stone. And my architect says, well, you don't know his God too well. He said, because Perry Stone will pray the money in. He said, we don't work that way. He said, will you trust me and take this project because when he needs money, his God will provide. Because my architect, they got filled with the Holy Spirit. He was a Catholic boy and she was Baptist. What a combination. Boy, both of them laying out on the floor speaking in tongues when God baptized them. It was a hoot and a half. He was an altar boy, in fact, at one time. And so, so they started on the building. So we go, how many of you know you can blow through $4 million real fast? So you know what we did? Listen now, I had a mountain. And I know my preaching. I'm not going to pray for the mountain. I said, we're going to speak to the mountain of money. And I got my kids together and my prayer team at OCI. And I said, here's how we're going to pray. Number one, we are going to speak into existence and prophesy into existence money we don't have. And here's how we're going to do it. We are going to demand in the spirit realm that the almighty God will awaken the spirit of a millionaire. And God will wake the millionaire up at night and tell him that he's got Perry Stone's money in the bank. Yes, that's right. I said, now, number three, as we command this word, we're going to tell God, this is not for us personally. This is not an ego thing to me. This is the will of the Father. So as we remind God that we're in his will, mm -hmm, and we command by speaking to the spirit of a man that we don't even know exists right now, we are going to speak and prophesy to this mountain 
and it must be removed. And so we did. How much you need, Pops? I need a million dollars. I'll never forget these kids, man, walking around, holding up a finger. Lord, we need a million dollars. We speak. That's what they were saying. We speak. We speak to the atmosphere that God will go out and find the millionaire. I didn't know anybody that had that kind of money, and I knew it looked totally ridiculous. But to get the miraculous, you must sometimes do the ridiculous. It looked totally stupid, but I'm laughing the whole time. Now, Jensen Franklin, (laughs) I love telling this. Thank you, Lord, for reminding me of this. Jensen was preaching in Hickson, Tennessee, and this is my crowd, and they all love him. We're brothers, and we cut up. I go to his church and say, I wish he'd stay gone more so I could preach here more. And we have, a, we have a good time. So he's got teasing me and said, well, we know Perry's always into building buildings, but he was telling me the other day that he's never got a million-dollar donation. I guess he's not living right, and God's not giving it to him. And everybody started hee-hawing and laughing, and they thought it was high-fiving each other, you know, and I'm thinking, well, God, if I ain't living right, maybe I need to start living right and get my donation, according to Jensen. You know, and I talked to him later. He said, brother, he said, I got convicted when I said that. And he said, the Lord told me to tell you. He's, I'm flying, he's flying back on the plane. He said, the Lord told me to tell you, he's about to give you a million dollars. I said, are you really serious? He said, I'm telling you before God. And I took him out to the property later and drove. He said, I'm telling you, man, somebody's going to give you a million dollars. I said, you know what? I claim that. Oh, look, brother, when somebody starts prophesying over you, and it's somebody you have confidence in, you need to go and say, I take it, I take it. I don't, go, don't go into this super spiritual. Well, if it's the will of God. Well, if the Lord wants me to have it. Well, if God can trust me with it. I'm saying, come on, baby, send it. This is the truth. What, how, how long was it? A month? One month later, my bookkeeper comes in. Oh, God, you ain't going to believe this. It was a letter that said, Fidelity Investments. Somebody, we don't even know who, we, knew, we know now, but somebody gave us a million dollars. Oh, you'd shout and run and holler. You'd hang from the light, swing from the chandelier, kick your shoes off. You'd be doing donkey kicks, kicking somebody if you knew. That was you. And like, I'm just like going crazy by now. It's like, this, okay, this really works. So then we, we, get, we get to where we really need money. And they said, Pops, how much you need? And this is months later. I said, guys, we got to have $3 million. We're, Our account's gone. We got to have $3 million. They'll stop the building if we... Ah, they're not going to stop the building. I said, I know they can't stop the building because we're in the will of God. So let's go back and remind God his will, his bill. Let's go remind God his will, his bill. So they did. God, it's your will. It's your bill. Pop says he needs $3 million. I'm telling you that Pam, Pam calls me and she says, oh, God. Or have you talked to the bookkeeper? No. Are you sitting? Well, first she said, are you sitting down? I thought something bad. Somebody died. She's crying on the phone. And I said, what happened? Don't tell me something bad. She says, no, it's not bad. She says, have you talked to the bookkeeper? I said, no. Said The bookkeeper just called me and said, you just got a check for $3 million. I knew that'd make you shout. Because three is a little bit more than one. That's four million. This, this is the God's truth. Every time we got to a situation, every time we got to a situation, we would pray and not just pray. Oh, God, we ask you. We'd speak it like we were prophesying it. 
We command the millionaire to wake up in the name of Jesus. We needed God. We command, we send the word out to this mountain to be removed into the sea and this debt be gone. And we kept on. Let me just tell you what happened when it was all over with. God supernaturally, I built a 72,000 square foot building. Are you ready? That cost $18 million and it was paid for before I ever moved into it. You better shout right there. Hey! Woohoo! You better shout. Can, can, I, can I build your faith a little bit? Sometimes God will have you do something with what you have before he gives you what you need. Oh, that's another one. My God, it just came out of me. You better, you better write that down, Tammy. Tammy, keep your phone out. I'm under the anointing tonight, sister. Don't you recognize it? And so we went to West Virginia, okay? ISO school, the T.L. Lowry building, needed a $100,000 roof on it. And I said, with my mouth, I had a bunch of kids with me. I said, with my mouth, I don't want VOE to have to take that bill. VOE is underwriting ISO, and I, I, no more. I'm asking God to send that roof to us in the name of Jesus without me having to go to the VOE funds and pull a CD out to pay for a roof. So I go to West Virginia and find out this little old country church with a bunch of poor people needs a roof. I said, how much is your roof? They said, 20000 I said, it's coming your way. So I go out of our funds. We need a roof. But wait a minute. If you need a roof, sow for a roof. Come on, you want beans? Plant beans. You want tomatoes? Plant tomatoes. You need a roof? Plant a roof. And this was the coolest thing because I'm trying to teach you the power of prophesying to the mountain. You're getting it, aren't you? So we're driving back with a bunch of kids, and I said, here's what's going to happen. We are not going to have to pull that $100,000 out of VOE. We have sowed to a roof, and I said it like this, but I prophesy to the heavens, and I prophesy in the name of the Lord that somebody is going to send us the money to VOE, and we won't have to use it in 30 days. And I said to God, now God, I just spoke it, and my kids heard it. Don't you disappoint my kids. Because they've watched me do this too many times. I said, do y'all believe it? Yeah, pops. I mean, there was a whole car load of them. We believe it. I said, put your hands up and start thinking. Man, they were hit up, 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 up. They're thanking God. They really believed it. It's about four days before the Super Bowl. Four days before I walk in my office and there's an envelope there. And I recognize that it's the same envelope that I used to get with the big checks. How strange is this? 26 days after paying for a roof to a poor church because he that pities the poor lends unto the Lord and the Lord will repay him. And I knew that verse too. I open it up. It is exactly $100,000 donation. You didn't hear what I just said. Take a lap. Take a lap. Moonwalk. Moonwalk. Come on. Oh, wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. It gets stupider. So now we're launching ISO. And I, and, and, and I find out that ISO may, uh, may merge with another Bible school. And there's a lot of money involved. We're talking about another million dollars. And I said to the chancellor, in the name of Jesus... VOE has underwritten this school for two years and spent almost $4 million getting it going. 
and it's enough of that. And I prophesy into the atmosphere in the name of Jesus that God will give us everything we need to keep it running for a while till we really get it up and going. And VOE will not, will not have to pull funds out to do it. And the chancellor said, I agree. All I need is two. <laughs> Me and you. Hey, hey. And I, I, I sat down and I, the other day I said, Father, you know me. It's not about me. I don't have my name on nothing in this ministry because you raised it up and you birthed it and you gave every name I've ever had. So now show me what you can do again. I prophesy. And I, can you all see a theme here? It's speaking to it. Is this helping anybody? Speaking to it. See, you don't just randomly claim stuff. You claim it when you know it's God's will. You claim it when you sense. That's the key. See, the, the, where, where confession got off wrong years ago is they were claiming cars and houses and stuff. God don't care about your stuff. God cares about his kingdom. So if you seek first the kingdom, all the stuff is going to be added to you, okay? That's what I'm trying to say to you. I don't even know if I should tell you all this. I, I, if this don't make you shout, I'm going to do one of these. I just drop the mic right here. Ready? Last week, I walk into my office. Tammy was there. What were we doing? Working on what? We had a conference call with Daystar. Because we're going to go live on Daystar March the 1st, okay? So anyway, we're, we're having a conference call today. And I, my office got manager, Charlie, says, this envelope came for you. And I'm looking, and it's the same? I said... Uh-uh. And Tammy, with all her faith, says, well, maybe it's just a tax receipt from the check you got. I says, shut up. <laughs> tax receipt. Tax receipt from the check I got. You don't, give a, you don't give a check in January, and then the tax receipt comes from the place that gave you the donation. She worked for the government on a $100 billion budget and can't even figure out you don't get a tax receipt from a check. She knows I'm cutting up with her. She's my sister. I open up this and, and, and I pull it real slow. I said, uh-uh, it's a check because the back of it reads the same as the one I got 10 days ago. So when I pulled it over, I had to look three times to count the zeros. We just got a check, and God just took care of whatever was needed at the school for $3 million. Drop the mic. Walk away. This is not a magical formula, but I'm in the Word. I'm telling you, God wants to bless us. God wants to heal us. God wants to touch us. And it's done by the confession of the promises. Woo! Woo! Hey, will you let me tell you one more before we pray? Will you let me tell you? You got time for one more? Ben, I got time for one more. Is it all right? 
I always want to be under submission to the pastor. Your keyboard guys are waiting for me to give them the signal right now. It's coming. I promise you after this, it is coming because we're going to pray. When my son was a full-blown drug addict and alcoholic and told me at age 23 he was an alcoholic, never saw us drink, never saw me take drugs, but the enemy hit him. He has a little bit of autism, and he always felt like he had to be either drunk or high before he could talk to people, which was a lie of the enemy. We now know that. Nine years, my wife and I prayed for my boy to be delivered, and we had to pray. And I want you parents to hear me. We had to pray that he wouldn't die prematurely. Because I saw him, one night he took 70 pills, ended up in the emergency room. The doctor said, your heart might quit. And that didn't even scare, that scared him for 48 hours. And then he almost died again, he told me. And I was, I didn't know how to pray. Now I want you to hear, this is about how to pray. And I was praying, oh God, touch my boy. God save my boy. God deliver my boy. And I'm just praying the way I think I'm supposed to pray. Whew. And then I would talk to people and I'd say, you know, if my boy ever gets touched, man, he's a genius. If my boy ever gets touched, he's, he's a computer whiz. If my boy ever gets touched and can ever work. And, and I kept, and for nine years, almost nine years, it was actually eight years, my word was if. And one day we got bad news and God spoke to me and said, listen to how you're talking. You're canceling your breakthrough. He said, do you understand that if you talk against your prayer, you've canceled the prayer? Man, it hit me, man. God, it hit me so hard. And he said, I want you to change what you're saying. And don't you ever again say, if he gets saved, you say, when he gets saved. And my boy would get so drunk, my wife knows this, and we had a disagreement. She wanted to throw him out of the house and make him stand on his own. I said, the wolves will eat him and the devil will kill him. No, he's when he's in my house, he's under my hedge and my angel in Jesus' name. I know he's not living right, but I'm, he's going to stay right here where, where at least he's under my hedge. And he'd come down and he'd be cussing me out. So I said, boy, you cuss me, I'm going to slap you. That's not the way you treat somebody that's an addict because they're not even thinking right. He cussed me out. I said, hey, that ain't my boy talking. I want to talk to my boy, not that devil trying to talk through him. You understand? He said, I'll get away from me. He'd walk out. He'd, he'd go and cuss me out, and I'd, and I'd say something to him. I'd say, oh, just a minute. I need to talk to the king in you. <laughs> what do you mean, the king in you? I said, there's a fool in you, but there's a king in you. And I ain't talking to the fool in you tonight. I want to talk to the king. Oh, it'd make him so mad. Shut up. Get out of here. Come, you get out of here. I don't want to talk to you. I ain't never going to work for you. I ain't never going to work in the ministry. I said, I know that's the fool talking. I said, I I'm gonna talk. I'll come back when the king's wanting to talk to me. And I kind of messed with him a little bit. And he later told me, he said, it aggravated me. But he said, I, listened, I was listening to what you were saying, Dad, the whole time, even though I just didn't want to hear what you had to say. So God, I started calling him, hey, man of God, what's up? Don't you call me a man of God? I don't even know if God even knows I exist. I said, oh, you're a man of God. You're going to be. And so somebody gave me a word. They said, I'm going to conclude with this. I'm going to pray for you. God gave me, somebody gave me a word and said, he's going to go to bed one night one way and wake up the next morning different. And you know what? I don't despise words like that. I'm like, come on, Jesus. Here we go. Let's go. Let's go. Because I'll, I'll claim it. I'll claim it. I promise you, I get up one morning. This happened after nine years, guys. 
I get up one morning. He comes down in his boxers and T-shirt. Looks like he's been up all night. He said, Dad, I've been up all night thinking. I have made some dumb choices. This is not where you say, that's right. That's right. I'm glad you finally came to your senses. This is where you silently say, oh, boy, that's the truth. And you smile. Really? He said, well, you know I have. And I said, he said, I do not want to work in a restaurant the rest of my life. He says, I know I told you I'd never work in the ministry. But he said, do you have a job for me? <laughs> Man. And I said, no, but I'll make one. And I set him up with a job. This boy now does all the graphics, editing, all the pre-sermon stuff, all the commercials for OCI. When I, when I get up in the church and start singing, he throws up a sign, karaoke. He's a hoot, man. He's a genius. We're moving into the lodge. I've given him an office that's as large as some houses are. He's building a studio, and he is a completely, totally different kid because it's not if, it's when. <laughs> Hallelujah. It's not if God's going to move your mountain. It's when that. Brother, I could run around this building right now. I feel the barusha here. Hallelujah. Praise God. Raise your hands with me right now. Father, we receive the word. If you receive the word. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you are blessed.